So it's about time we acknowledge this and start training the humans to be humans again, right? We need to extract the robots from the humans. So this is the part that the weak AI is doing. But then teach humans to be more humans. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines and the Great in Descent. Thanks for tuning in to our geeky podcast to discuss the fascinating field of AI and machine learning, corporate craziness, passion for technology and the role of humans. We are Uli and Avery, your hosts for this episode. And today we're, we have the honor to welcome a true tech superstar to our show. <laughs> a trailblazer who not only stands up for female empowerment and inspires women to excel in the field of technology, but also boasts an impressive list of accomplishments. She is a LinkedIn top voice, a renowned thought leader in AI, a TEDx speaker and a best-selling author all while fluently speaking and astounding seven languages, and that's not even including programming languages. Her passion for emotional artificial intelligence, the democratization of AI, and the ethical and responsible use of technology is unparalleled, making her a force to be reckoned within the industry. Get ready to be blown away as we bring you the one and only Kensa Aitsi Abu. We can't wait to learn more about her take on the developments in the field of AI. So let's kick off this episode right now. That was probably the biggest, <laughs> you know, the biggest, <laughs> most flourish introduction ever, ever, ever made. We made on this I'm podcast. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Mom, did you hear that? <laughs> Kenza, it's absolutely thrilling to have you on the show. And I suggest we dive right in and get to know you a little better. So many, maybe can you give us a glimpse into your incredible background? Who are you? What do you do? What actually sparked your passion for AI? Thanks. Thanks a lot. And as I said, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really impressed. So thanks so much. Um, yeah, I see myself as a, as a mother and manager struggling, <laughs> struggling life every day. But all this started uh, when I was a young girl. I loved mathematics and uh, I loved just doing mathematics exercises and uh, very simple equations. So this brought me to study engineering. And uh, during my engineering classes, I had the opportunity to attend to uh, subjects like um, neural networks and fuzzy logic and um, the, some, some of the machine learning methodologies that we use today and that we didn't call AI back then. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was impressed by the power that this technology had or has in improving many things. And I think one of the... the Use cases that really impressed me at university was detecting breast cancer. Um, and for me, it was the, the first kind of <laughs> useful use of technology. <laughs> uh, I studied electronics. Um, yeah, and I had a hard time loving electronics. So when I attended those courses, my passion for uh, engineering grew. So this, this was the start of it, yeah. 
Awesome. You, you have been in the AI and machine learning space for quite some while, also on the interface between R&D maybe, but also on the application size, right? If you reflect on the last three, four, five years maybe on corporate level, how do you see that the, the application has changed and the mindset and the data, maybe the data-driven mindset, the AI-first mindset as some, some corporates called it, do you see any progress uh, significantly? Over the last years? Yes, um, definitely. Uh, but of course, I'm talking, I'm going to talk about Germany and, and so Northern Europe, uh, maybe, but Germany very specifically, uh, because this is where I have uh, the most uh, working experience in the AI field. And uh, I must say, five years ago, we were still discussing about AI ethics and regulation. Mm. So trustworthy AI act is still pretty new, is it? Um, it is, but the, the difference is now we're talking about trustworthy AI in practice. So mm. we're really talking about tools mm. and how to detect bias in data and algorithms and which metrics do you use, how, how do you tune uh, your models. But five years ago we were talking, um, it, it was more a philosophical discussion. Mm. It was more around what do we need? Mm. What should we take uh, uh, care of? And now, um, after the European Union has developed the AI Act, at least it's a, it's a template now, it's not a law yet, but it's mm. coming and mm. very soon. Um, so since the AI Act exists, even in the first draft, I do have the feeling that companies feel more comfortable, mm. at least in Germany, mm. because they say... Okay, now we do have the framework. It has been defined. We know what is coming. We know what the, the regulation will ask us. So now we can start working. And there is this, this culture in Germany uh, of not doing anything better than doing it wrong. Mm. So the, the risk adversity in Germany is quite limited when you compare it to other countries. Uh, so this is why we were talking in the last year's more about, okay, how, how should we do it? How can we avoid mi avoid mistakes? Mm -hmm. And now that the regulation is there, um, companies are starting really applying AI. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is good news in my, mm -hmm. in my perspective because um, we know what's our sandbox limits, kind of, mm -hmm. and then we can start applying it and, and, and scaling it, uh, hopefully quickly. All right, yeah, yeah, nice. So um, if, if you look now a bit of the, the most recent advancements and, and project initiatives, are there any anything where you say like that, that's pretty dope, chat TBD, or is it something, are there certain kinds of project maybe you are also involved in where you say like that's, that's pretty, pretty exciting and gives you some kinds of excitement? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit hard to excite me somehow. <laughs> is it? All right. <laughs> Yeah, I got uh, this question quite often. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm not. No. Sad. I'm not impressed by many things. Okay. But no. So le let me rephrase this. Um, I work in a, in a B2B uh, uh, field, mm. and most projects we have, or we we had until now, mm. uh, were concentrated on automation. Okay. So kind of the low hanging fruits, right? And especially when it comes to machine to machine data. So predictive maintenance, forecasting, um, anomaly detection. Mm -hmm. Those use cases are quite 
easy to build because it's easier to convince people that it's for a good use and that you're not breaching any data privacy uh, um, Very issues. down to earth as well, right? Is it? They're kind of down to yeah. earth, mm-hmm. uh, but still business critical also for, mm-hmm. for, for companies. So if you're a manufacturer and, and uh, your uh, line is not working, obviously this is a, a huge, um, um, it comes with a huge cost. So if you can predict that a machine will need in two weeks some new uh, spare parts, then you can order them and then you don't have uh, um, uh, waiting times. So the business case is there. Now, the kind of AI use cases where you generate new products, new services, new ideas, this is not there yet. So we are working a lot on uh, efficiencies Mm -hmm. and automation, but not yet on creating new services. Mm -hmm. And also this, for me, it's not something negative. Mm -hmm. You need to start somewhere. So the low-hanging fruit are these kind of use cases. And then with them, you get used to the mindset, to a data-driven mindset. Your um, employees get used to thinking in that way. And that makes it easier to go the next step and try to create new services. And of course, you need to get rid of the repetitive tasks so that your employees have time, thinking time, and time to invent new stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like the homework you need, you need to do first before you go and create and create new stuff and create new business models. That's a very, very German attitude, optimizing the process and squeezing the orange until it's, <laughs> it's finally done and then thinking about, okay, where does the scale come from? But I guess everybody is demanding these kinds of, you know... Where can we leverage new services and, and apply and create and shape new new digital business models, I guess, and attach them to those? I, that's interesting. I never saw it from this perspective. Maybe you're right. Yeah, it's a German way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in, instead of f- starting with new business models, but that's, uh-uh, that's I think, for, ger- for a German culture, started with, starting with new products and business models is quite disruptive yes, right it is, yeah. you need an evolution you can't do disruption here it doesn't work so yeah. the evolution is okay start small start mm. with automating mm. start with efficiencies mm. um you can do still forecasting uh, as we said uh, anomaly detection so fraud detection these kind mm. of things and that you can do in hr in finance mm. in different business units mm. um and you need that m- mind shift or mindset shift Mm-hmm. Right, you need people to start thinking in any way because to apply AI use cases, you need data, and data we gather, we collect data the whole time, but it doesn't mean it has a quality you need to build AI use cases. So even on that sense, you need to train train the people to gather the right data to document things, and this takes time. Mm. In many cases. You have a use case, you want to solve it, and then you check and there's no data. There's no structured data. Uh, So you have to build up a data model first, and then you have to give the tools to the employees so that they document their knowledge. So knowledge employees need to to put their knowledge somewhere Mm -hmm. so that the AI can learn it and then augment it. So again, they profit from it. But you, you need to offer them something so that they have a motivation to document their knowledge. Mm. right and this is tricky this is tricky 
if mm. you tell someone, okay, I just need you to put everything you know in your head on paper, is it why should I? Mm. And if I do so, uh, I lose my job. So I'm not doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to find uh, um, something, a benefit you can offer them so that they are encouraged to document it. Mm. So this, it, this mm. takes time, this takes time. Yeah, maybe also emphasizing that like this actually builds the foundation for for future um, use cases that you can build upon that and that it actually has like a, a big impact even though it might be tedious to do it at first. Yeah, but the benefit should be there right now. Yeah. You can't say we need this so that in one year the digital assistant that we built for you and that learns from you will help you. They say, I don't care. Either it helps me now or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not collaborating. And maybe they don't say it this way. But, you know, in the, in the interaction, they are collaborative if they, say, if they see the benefit today. So that is actually the tricky part. Mm. You need to give them a benefit now so that this, the whole situation improves in a year. What has also been quite challenging over time was uh, the process of democratizing AI. So, and you've been also part of that journey and you worked very hard to make um, technology more accessible and more uh, widely adopted. And what we observe right now is like the rise of, um, for example, AutoML or low-code platforms. Um, so the landscape of AI implementation has shifted quite a lot. And how do you see that these developments actually impact the way we enable use cases? And does it have an impact maybe also on the skills that students of tomorrow need to master to become true AI experts? It's a good development that we have low-code and no-code um, solutions because this will allow people outside of an IT department to further develop use cases right? We don't want the knowledge to be only in a small group. Mm. It should be everywhere. And um, people outside of, of the IT department, they are usually the SMEs. They are the knowledge uh, workers. Knowledge workers maybe sounds uh, strange, but it's actually the technical <laughs> word. <laughs> so the subject matter experts, let's say. So they have the, the knowledge to make the business work. And if you give them the tools um, to do it more efficiently, it's um, in the sum, at the end, it's more efficient that, than if you have only the IT department uh, uh, building those efficiencies. Mm -hmm. So this is why we need this low code and uh, modular uh, algorithms and, uh, and, and models. But with this comes um, another responsibility. You need further skills. So if you have if you are a subject matter expert, let's say in finance and you do financial reporting and then you get a fraud detection already trained model to use in your um, in your business and then you need to adapt it because of course um, um, you get new fraud patterns uh, continuously so you need to adapt your fraud detection mechanism continuously. So a low-code tool can help for someone expert in finances to adapt the model. At the same time, that person also needs to have 
other skills like um, detecting bias, for example. Because also in fraud detection, you have to make sure that um, maybe uh, citizens from a certain social group or citizens who work in a social uh, who live in a social area of a of a city. Um, shouldn't be discriminated by a system and then detected as fraud while it's not um, a fraud. So it's a little bit tricky, mm. let's say, and that is the, the tricky part about uh, uh, um, making it available to everybody because it comes with a training, it comes with a lot of knowledge, and from the user's side, it comes with a responsibility that they might not be aware of. And this needs to be trained Do you observe that that willingness to get like further training in order to be able to use those uh, tools or technologies, do you see that it's there, that people are actually open to that or rather reluctant? Well, it's a, it's a mixed uh, picture, right? You always have uh, growth mindsets, mm -hmm. uh, as, as we call it. So people are really w willing to learn and willing to evolve and, and maybe even switch careers kind of and then you have the the fixed mindsets where people are uh, rather reluctant and you will find both mindsets everywhere so you can't say in this company or in this country or in this department uh, we have this this and that <coughs> you'll find them everywhere even in a in a creative agile organization you have mm -hmm. people with fixed mindset and I, i guess you need also both um, um, the question is how do you combine Uh, those skills and mindsets uh, to make the organization as a whole still working towards growth because we do need we do need people to upskill to reskill every one of us um, the lifelong learning is not just a, a motto it's real life mm. um, I think um, studying for a couple of years and then stopping there and then working the rest of your life based on on this degree is past <laughs> um, this can't be true anymore all of us need um, to upskill continuously yeah continuous beta uh, for, i've learned aspects that we all run on a continuous beta software that needs to be <laughs> we are beta, <laughs> we <laughs> we are beta <laughs> continuously right yeah, <laughs> absolutely uh, the fact that's also a bit of the soft practice but also a topic which seems to be very very you know driving for you which is called uh, towards emotional intelligence and also you seem to have some kinds of notion of uh, emotional artificial intelligence which is for me new in the field let's say or i've never you know mm. um, pushed uh, in these kinds of aspects so can you can you share with the audience a bit your view on the relationship of emotional and the emotional artificial intelligence what's the difference and what it was to do and why, why anyway Yeah, I mean, emotional intelligence is what humans have. Uh, so again, it's like natural intelligence and emotional um, artificial intelligence is the way of making machines learn skills that we humans have and recognizing emotions and uh, reproducing those emotions. Like in in the sense of sentiment or in the sense sentiment of sentiment analysis or? is one of them, okay. right? Mm -hmm. uh, so so th there are different aspects to emotional AI. Mm -hmm. um, the the first one, so okay, we can start with sentiment analysis. Mm -hmm. um, so it's how we train the machines to detect 
emotion in text, be it written, written mm -hmm. or heard, mm -hmm. so voice uh, or or uh, or text. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that exists. It's it's not new. Uh, combining this with um, detecting emotions on our face, mm -hmm. so we have muscles mm -hmm. right in our face that move in a different way depending which emotions we are showing. So if we're smiling or, or if we're angry, we also have micro expressions mm. that actually show the true emotions before we change our muscle mm -hmm. uh, movements. Like gaze movement or so blinkering with the eye or what Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. So <laughs> let, let's take an example. You're invited yeah. at your uh, fam uh, family-in-law. Your mom-in-law cooked something, and it's, it doesn't. It's, it doesn't. It's not tasty. Mm -hmm. So the first impression, the micro expression, would be rather negative because it, it's, it's not tasty. But mm -hmm. then you you smile and you say, mm -hmm. "Oh, thank you. This is so tasty," for family peace, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is how we interact in our society. Uh, a human might not detect it mm -hmm. if you, if you are very good and you do it quickly, but the machine always does. So a camera mm. with a very good uh, uh, um, um, resolution detects your micro expressions. Um, and that puts it in a position that it even interprets better than humans. Mm. Although we, we should be careful here. Um, because um, the machine needs to know the context also, right? Mm. So you can't really say only from the, the movements of your muscles in your face if you really feel um, pleased, happy or not. But if you combine this with sentiment analysis from the, the words you are saying, mm. plus um, bio detectors. So if you have a wearable, my iWatch, for example, mm. measures my pulse, measures the, the conduction. Is it the conduction? I don't know how you call, what's the technical word in English, but anyone out there, uh, you know, <laughs> post it in the comments here. But I said, <laughs> transmitting, conducting, yeah, <laughs> something so, like that, right? So yeah. our our skin, um, yeah, can transmit mm -hmm. um, energy, or energy, yes, yeah, okay. uh, and this uh, indicates the concentration of certain hormones, right? Mm -hmm. And this can be detected by a wearable. Mm -hmm. So. And this is again like the, the true uh, uh, the true feeling, right? Mm. Uh, so if Con you are happy, you have dopamine, or something like yeah, that, right? You, you, yeah. uh, your body is producing dopamine, and mm. this can be detected by a wearable. So if you combine this, the wearable saying, "Okay, we have high dopamine levels now," mm -hmm. and Kenza is using very positive words, plus she's smiling. You know, the movements of her face in, are going uh, in a way that I interpret as smiling. Then the machine can detect really how I feel. So this is um, so, emotional AI summarized. Yeah, but, but that's that's super tricky. Or is, I don't know. I guess fifty uh, percent of the audience out there would now say, "No, I don't want to have a machine or a software doing things." Right. Uh, so in my as a geeky, I'm super fascinated by those kinds of you know um, aspects. Though this relates a bit on the human-centered designs so or personalization, but personalization comes with a caveat. It comes very close. Not everybody wants that, and it comes uh, about spurious, you know, 
misinterpretation of you know context and 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 data and algorithm flow and you know those kinds of aspects whether you know this is used then for the right application what what is yeah, with the ab- what kind of absolutely. other bias ap- apart from the uh, appearance right any views on that it, it, I mean, it's you open the a topic, box in Pandora. Yeah, then, I know right? the it? topic is, is really fascinating, <laughs> and I wrote a whole book about it. Okay, yeah. because the the flip side of it mm. is how does this affect us as humans? Mm. So not only privacy issues, mm. but let let's say with this use case, the machine, your wearable, is talking with your computer and telling the computer exactly how you feel, and then you have a digital assistant in your computer, and you interact with the machine, you talk to it. And you gain trust, and then the machine can smile back, or if you if you feel sad, and then the machine sees it, detects sadness, and then it smiles to you. Then you feel happy. Um, you smile back, and that changes again your state of mind. Mm. So the machine doesn't have feelings itself, but it creates feeling. It triggers feelings in you by being empathic. Right or empathetic, I think it's uh, the right word, and that creates a higher trust in the human-machine interaction on the one side, and it impacts the human-to-human interaction. And we have the first um, psychological experiments um, also proving that. Um, one of them, quite spooky actually, um, proved that. People having sex with sex robots, and especially young people who are having their first experiences, um, if they have them with robots, they don't behave properly with with girls. And we're talking mainly about boys because they didn't learn the limits of what is allowed and what is not. Mm-hmm. So having sex with a robot influences how you have sex with a human. Uh, also, the way you talk with a robot can influence the way you talk with a human. And here again, to make it concrete, during COVID, the use of conversational AIs mm. jumped, right? Because many people uh, uh, during lockdowns, they were alone at home. Mm. So they started chatting with conversational AI. And they start telling them stories that they never told anybody else. And they even say it. Like uh, childhood traumas or so different stories and telling the machine, you know, I never told anybody about this. It's the first time I'm telling somebody, but I know I can tell you, I trust you. I know you're not telling anybody and I know you're not judging me. Mm. And this is really critical Mm -hmm. because this proves that if the AI is really has strong if it's a well-built emotional AI, mm. it builds a trust level that is actually higher than the trust level we have in human-to-human interactions. Or it could be. I mean, it's mm. not 100% sure. But it could uh, happen. And then you see, it's today it's already there. And people are telling the AI secrets that they say, I have never told anybody because you don't judge me. And people judge me. Mm. So looking... In like 50 years, what what will happen, kind of, or what could happen? So if we start interacting with machines and trusting machines more than we trust the humans, which impact does it have on humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
are we changing our interactions on a small talk level with other humans because we don't have time we are all stressed and then we don't want you know Uli if I find you I don't want to hear your complaints about your life I have enough problems in my life so it's like you say on a on a <laughs> I'm not complaining <laughs> here just for the record right <laughs> hashtag no complaint <laughs> complaints about leadership leadership challenges <laughs> so yeah. So, so that's that's the risk. Yeah. Then you say, yeah. okay, interacting yeah. with people mm. has brings a lot of effort. Interacting with machines is easier. Mm. I can just buy the machine, mm. and then it always satisfies me. It's always there to listen. It doesn't say, hey, I don't have time. Um, uh, you can trust me. These kind of things. So these are the questions I'm really interested in discussing, and this goes beyond technology. Mm. It's actually more sociology philosophy, anthropology. And I have been talking with experts in these fields to try to understand how could this evolve and, and which impact it could have on, on humanity at the end of the day. Yeah. So that means in, in, a, in a world where more and more software and <coughs> AI or somehow agents, software-driven agents arise, you, you would bet that in order to stay more human, we need and not adapt to the machinery level, we need to have more emotional intelligence in software products being fueled. Well, my plea is the other way around. Okay. <laughs> I say <laughs> we need more emotional intelligence in humans. Okay. It's, um, in my point of view, it's the only way to be able to have a, a good balance. Mm -hmm. um, if we look back Or, or not that back, I mean today, um, our workplace is quite, or we pretend it to be rational, we expect people to be rational, mm -hmm. we don't want to see so many emotions, we don't, you know, crying at an office is something weird, mm -hmm. I do cry sometimes, and people, yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, Whenever <laughs> I look at data structures, I'm crying, right? <laughs> that's, that's the rhyme. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't cry every day, but yeah. if I feel I need to cry, I do cry. <laughs> and even at school, mm -hmm. school is actually a disaster for humanity, because <laughs> all the creativity and all the... the um, Uh, curiosity that children bring mm -hmm. is being kept. They need to sit and listen and, okay, learn to read and write. I, I, I agree it's mandatory and it's the minimum because otherwise they can't grow mm -hmm. um, cognitively. But, but then the way, the way the education system works in Europe, um, uh, at least, or in Southern Europe, Middle Europe, um, is not perfect. And we don't train the emotional intelligence of children, mm. but we should do so. So we have been trained at school, then universities, and then in the workplace just to function. We are like robots. We have been trained to, be, to become robots. Mm. And now we are training the robots to become humans. Mm. And it's actually totally ridiculous. Um, so it's about time we acknowledge this mm. and start training the humans to be humans again. Right? We need to extract the robots from the humans. So this is the part that the weak AI is doing. But then teach humans to be more humans. Mm -hmm. And from a technology perspective, how do you see, I mean, 
you know, if I see now in current machine learning systems, it's fascinating certain kinds of capabilities, but a lot of things that just don't work is still not here, right? It's it's very narrowed, as you said, right? It's very narrowed, data-driven, very narrow, trained on these kinds of aspects. And so that means the field is not yet ready, right? Or do you see that this will leap in the next, I don't know, three to five years? This, the progress of, you know, making this context-based, complex, you know, emotion-driven, multi-sensor fundamental models, you know, will work robustly and reliable to go in these <laughs> kinds of cases. You yeah, see that re- in, re- in the re- near four? <laughs> sure, right? Robust and reliable are the, uh, <laughs> the words. So um, many use cases are there already, maybe not combined. Uh, mm. But we do have the wearables, we do have the facial uh, mm. detection, uh, so emotional detection on face. Um, sentiment analysis is there to detect sentiment in text, and the sophisticate, sophisticated chatbots have it today mm. already. Mm. There are use cases being built for cars, for digital assistance in cars. Mm. For example, to detect the eye movement. By the way, eye movement is, is the other aspect I forgot. So facial, mm-hmm. then eye mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. and then t- text, and, and then bio, bio, uh, biometrics. Uh, so if the, the car detects from your eye movement that you're tired, then it says, hey, you should, you should pause. And if it detects you're drunk, uh, the engine doesn't start, as an example. So these things are being built mm-hmm. now. And so there's a lot of money being invested mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Um, because it also allows customization of products, mm-hmm. right? And this brings money. And let's face it, we have a society now, or we have developed ourselves in a society of, of a quick fulfillment of our um, um, uh, wishes and uh, uncomfort. Uh, and we are open to pay money for comfort. Friction is a good basis for innovation, I would say, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're also willing to pay money for like hyper-personalization. So everything is completely tied to my personality, what I need. Uh, that's also pretty interesting. Mm. Um, Kenza, when you explained that like humans are becoming more like we're like going into the direction of robots because of school where like it's not so easy to be just like creative and everybody maybe wants to do their own thing but it's like a little difficult because you're in those big groups and then the other hand on the other hand that we have machines becoming more emotionally intelligent and I once read that like emotional intelligence is actually something that identifies us as human or like a very humane trait where would you then see like the relationship between like human and AI or machine because it's like it feels like it's like starting to to blur a little bit I don't think it's starting to to blur. I mean, the development could give you that impression. And there's this, uh, the uncanny valley mm-hmm. um, that says you trust um, a machine and then you interact with the machine um, if it's like human-like. So starting with the robot like Peppa, for example, mm-hmm. it's not human-like. You see it's a robot, but still it has some emotional expression. And then it feels like, oh, this is so cute. So you in- interact with it. And then um, if if it's a humanoid, if it's going towards humanoid, and then it resembles a person, um, trust ra- r- rises. 
Um, but then it goes down again if it's not 100% human-like, right? Because then you start being skeptical. But if it improves even more and it really resembles a human, trust goes up again. Mm. And the, the humanoids we see where there's a high trust, it's science fiction, right? Now, right? It doesn't exist. So maybe the, the most famous humanoid is Sophia, and you definitely see it's, it's a robot. Um, so we're not there yet. We are still now at the, at the, at the valley um, because it's still spooky somehow. You see, it's robots, okay, she, she can speak and uh, she has a, a skin, uh, but it's still spooky. So we will see next generations coming, and right now you can see them in in, in movies, and um, that that's really interesting uh, to analyze. So right now we don't have that blurring. Um, I wonder when mm. it will come, and if we allow it to come, because I don't know, uh, countries all over the world might decide to forbid humanoids, for example. Mm. They can say, we don't want that. It could be. Um, what, do you, what do you say? Probability of this happening? <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't, don't get the embodiment. as is why we need the embodiment in terms of, in, um, you know, it, this is more an engineering perspective, not, not in terms of the software that runs on that, but it's on the engineering perspective. Yeah, that's uh, if I part, look yeah. up, we, we're not able to produce, as, as Joshua put it rightly, uh, a toaster with one star uh, rating on Amazon, right? <laughs> so, um, and then talking about, you know, at a total pervasive robotic use and humanoid, um, I think we can leverage quite quite a bit on in knowledge, but I still don't get it why it has to be humanoid. So you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. And I, I discussed exactly this with an anthropologist because I, I wanted to, to, to understand this need. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, anthropomorphism. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I hope I, I, I said it correctly. Anthropomorphismus. Yeah, Anthropomorphism. <laughs> the first time uh, uh, happened uh, better. That is the need of uh, that we humans have. And please excuse me if I don't explain it properly. This is, uh, this is next level. <laughs> this is not engineering. <laughs> not what yeah. I was trained for. Mm-hmm. But it seems that humans have a need to make objects that they interact with to make them human-like somehow. We look for the the skills and aspects that those objects have that remind us of people. So this is why we talk with our uh, um, vacuum cleaner robot. We give give it a name and they say, oh, you're stuck again, blah, blah. And then, oh, let me help you. So we interact with them as if they were humans because this makes us feel better. Right, mm. so maybe this is where this humanoid as a concept uh, mm. comes from, and, and this exists many years back, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I think it comes from there because everything we interact with objects, we want to make them human-like because this is how we feel better, mm-hmm. and we want somehow to understand them, mm. to be able to interact with them properly. So this is why we we make them human-like and we treat them um, human-like. So. I'm, I'm not sure if we can really stop it. And if we want to stop it, it should be a decision that we say, no, 
humanoids should be prohibited because then, and that is the risk, if people cannot recognize anymore if they are dealing with a human or with a robot, um, I think this is changing everything. Everything we know, absolutely everything. Yeah, that also increases the risk for fraud. Like also now with the advances that, like if you just put in like three seconds of your voice into an AI and then you can mm -hmm. like speak in text, mm -hmm. yeah, deep fakes. Um, so that is also goes definitely into, into that direction. Like how can I be sure that this is a real person or this is like the person I know or don't know? Um, so I'm very excited to see what will be there to come and also like which regulations will be there. Well, that is the thing. It's not, we shouldn't be excited to see it. We should be excited to design it, well, to build it right? <laughs> and to build it yeah. and to control it. So, mm -hmm. so that, that's, um, that's the, the thing. Um, we should stay in the driver's seat in this technological development. So we're not, we're not uh, victims mm -hmm. of the technological development. We are, um, We are the designers of it. Yeah, but still, I'm, I'm still challenging the, the human need. Um, so, Chao Ice, you know, so chatbots like that, you know, who um, are purely software, purely mm -hmm. bots um, over conversational AI aspects, um, rolled out in China at, at scale with simple emotional hacks like, oh, here's a puppy, right, that, that, that may excite you, right? Uh, those kinds of morning, good mornings. Uh, greetings and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, the young generation is aware of that this is not a human, right? Writing to them, they still accept it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a human thing, right? In yeah, this yeah. Case. Needs to be cute yeah. though. Mm. So that's, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> that's the first, <laughs> that's be, before the uncanny value, before it goes down, it needs to be cute. And then you interact with it. As I said, with Peppa, it's the same. You see it's a robot, but uh, the interaction is still uh, nice, yeah. You just uh, referred a little bit to like we have to be in the driver's seat and we have to design it and uh, we have to drive it somehow. And that uh, reminds me a little bit um, that you're also empowering women in AI and this is like also a cause that seems to be very close to your heart. Um, but how did you actually get into that field? So how did you become an advocate for this movement? And maybe more importantly, how can we actually inspire girls to get excited about the area of robotics, AI, or maybe science in general? Hmm. I mean, how, why I became advocates because I'm I'm one of the <laughs> I'm one of them, <laughs> let's say. And uh, you see the the ratio of uh, women engineers and women in AI is quite low, and this is not good. Um, so women in tech are also uh, underrepresented. When it comes to AI, I think it's even more uh, risky mm -hmm. because um, AI is really changing everything we know. So basically we're designing a new AI world and we need everybody to be um, active in, in this design. And women, of course, is only one aspect of the, the whole diversity we need. We also need people from uh, other, other countries, cultures, skin colors, and uh, 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 physical abilities to design the world, because the world is complex and it's not only white, male. Um, it is dominated politically and by the system, let's say, 
but uh, the world is much more diverse than that. So this is why we need all these people uh, to create the new digital world. And um, yeah, and because the narrative is easier if we, you concentrate on one aspect, <laughs> I chose the, the female one, let's say the gender one. And um, um, so this is why I encourage women to get into this field and not Everybody needs to be a computer scientist or an engineer. This is also another important aspect about AI. Um, you can be a linguist, you can be a psychologist, and AI development teams still need you. And, and a lot, especially talking about emotional AI and the uh, machine, human-machine interaction. We need people uh, who know how humans work, <laughs> and that's not as engineers, believe me. <laughs> we know how machines work, but not how humans work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm using the work, work and function it's, uh, as if it were a machine, but humans are much more complex than machines, and we need people who understand how to design those, those interactions. So this is why the field is actually in need of different skills and different expertise, not only engineers and computer scientists, and uh, this is why I, I would love to have more people involved in AI development than it is today. So, and if you look back, if you, you know, the, maybe as a young professional or a student, right, what kind of recommendations would you give, give young folks nowadays out there, right? Should they should need to embrace or skill? Are there a couple of hot tips, hot, fi hot fixes or, you know, valuable sharings mm. where you say like, hey aware of or you would love to have had heard that um, prior before starting and engaging corporate or non-corporate i think it's good to have uh, to build up deep knowledge in one topic but still be interested in in the topics around it so when we hire people we say okay we like t-shapes we're looking for t-shapes right so you mm. have deep knowledge in something but you also understand um, the impact of that topic on different others and you can mm. combine it and I think this is more important now than it was mm. 20 years ago because the complexity just um, um, increased massively that you can't solve any problem anymore only with one um, subject matter expertise we need people who can bring the dots together who can link the dots and this is something that is a strength of humans. So again, deep expertise is something that a robot can learn, a machine can learn, but not linking the dots. Mm. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's my recommendation for the future. So build up an expertise in one topic for sure, but still keep in mind that the strength that a human being has is to navigate complexity, actually. And 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 that works a lot when you work on your emotional intelligence. So it's empathy, uh, self-regulation, self-reflection, social uh, uh, interaction. Uh, this is going to be even more important in the future than programming and coding. All right. Thanks for sharing. Ken, so that was a beautiful end to this uh, episode the time was really flying with you it's been such a pleasure to have you thanks for coming all the way from berlin just to join us today uh, thanks for all the insights for uh, sharing your passion 
And uh, since we're at the end of the podcast, we want to play our favorite game with you. It's called Authentic Autocomplete. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> I should have had my cell phone. Chat GPT. <laughs> yeah, let's just do it with Chat GPT. <laughs> Autocomplete. Eat it all. No. Eat it all. Right. Uh, and for the closing, I would like to give you a couple of sentence starters. Mm -hmm. And then you can be the Chat GPT and finish okay. them. Okay. <laughs> Kenza, are you ready for the final challenge? Wow. Yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so first, artificial emotional intelligence is? Exciting. Nice, to the point. Female empowerment means? Human rights. There we go. Resilience is? Oh, is a, a necessity in today's world. <laughs> Happiness is? Within. Beautiful. And last but not least, and it's a pretty tough one, but you'll manage it. If I could invent one rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Oh, one rule. Uh, stay curious. Here we go. Love it. Kenzo, thanks so much. So that's, uh, we were so looking forward to have the con this conversation with you and we really, really appreciate that you, you know, you've Did been I on perform? race journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Are you satisfied? I, I, you know, <laughs> Overperformed. Uh, you know, audience out there, let's, let's, let's hear it and see it at the comments, I guess. Right. But I think it's, it's really, it's a pleasure and it's, it's a no brainer to do a, you know, a four hour podcast uh, as well with you because, you know, you're, Your, your empathy level, your understanding, your depth, your knowledge, your interest in these topics, you know, and on the interface between human and technology and the interface of what makes human human and what makes technology pretty dope as well, mm -hmm. right? It's just um, awesome. Uh, and so a big fan, right? Hashtag cancer fan, right? <laughs> um, on there. And so thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you. And folks out there, stay tuned, uh, bold, committed, and open-minded. And we hear us definitely at the next Siemens Eale podcast. Cheers. <laughs>